welcome back to another episode of the HeartSquare podcast. In this episode today, myself and Rob were joined by Scott Ewins, who is the Chief Experience Officer at TPX Impact. As you will hear on today's episode, he has a whole wealth of experience in design and digital experiences, and so it makes the perfect person to talk to us today on this topic of designing and creating good digital experiences. Yeah, thanks, Ali. Um, absolutely. I'd be really, really looking forward to hearing from Scott, actually. Uh, he himself and, and GPX Impact as a, as a practice as well as a group of uh, organisations really strong in this area. Um, and I mean, hence, you know, we don't get that many guests with the with title of Chief Ex- Experience Officer, do we? So uh, that tells us what we need to know about um, his, his expertise, really. So, yeah, it'd be really good to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, definitely. So we'll just get into the episode. Hi Scott, thanks so much for joining myself and Rob on the HeartSquare podcast today. Um, As you know, we're going to have a bit of a chat around designing and creating good digital experiences. Um, Yeah, it'd be really great to get all your thoughts um, and insights on this topic. Um, But before we dive in, um, I just, it'd be great if you're able to tell us a bit about yourself and your role and a bit about TPX Impact as well, please. Sure, sure. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, I'm I glory under the high fluting title of Chief Experience Officer. <laughs> what that what the hell does that mean? Um, it means that I work uh, within the digital experience part of TPX Impact. Um, TPX Impact being um, a fairly recent organisation, actually. Um, it's a number of agencies and agency names that you may recognize who um, were orientated around more social purpose uh, and tech and design for good type purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like FutureGov, things like Manifesto and Decent, um, agencies like that, um, some 15 plus companies all under one roof as TPX Impact now. Um, really, really interesting uh, setup. Uh, and essentially, we're covering things like um, organizational change uh, and organizational design, obviously, a, a huge underpinning of technology and engineering and data, um, digital experience, which is the part that I'm in, um, things like enterprise uh, applications and uh, things like managed services as well are very much part of the remit. So I kind of soup to nuts, uh, kind of hold co setup. Um, but again, all all orientated as per the name around impact uh, and better purposes for design and tech. Um, my background, um, I have been in and out of agencies for 30 plus years now. Um, I tend to describe myself as BC, so before computers, that's how old I am. Um, so I, I trained in design. So when I trained in design, we were still moving great big blocks of type around and things like that. Um, but I got into tech very, very early um, through my first few gigs, which were around exhibition design. So I, uh, I developed a true love for the user experience because instinctively, what I was always doing um, with exhibition design. I was designing for school kids typically and trying to present uh, information and data and visual experience in a physical space uh, and trying to um, 
both excite and engage, but uh, have them leave the building informed. So I think that uh, that truism has remained with me um, as the technology cycles have sped up over the years. So, uh, yeah, I've been around the block. Um, a few agencies of note, uh, I ran Fjord uh, in the UK uh, for a few years before that business uh, got taken up by Accenture. Um, and I was also involved with the uh, the Wild and Crazy family at us too as well, um, launching things like Monument Valley uh, and doing some some really great interface and experiential work. Um, so yeah, long and circuitous journey uh, into TPX Impact, but uh, very much enjoying it. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a great intro. Thanks, Scott. And uh, yeah, interesting background. I like that. Like you say, how you came out of the the physical space into the digital, but with the same same kind of underlying uh yeah <clears throat> thinking around it um yeah sorry so obviously today we're going to be talking a little bit about um good digital experiences and i guess start of a 10 really is kind of um that open openish question of you know for non-profits and as you say tpx impact very much focused on organizations that have an impact a good positive social impact but yeah. for the organizations like those which is our client base as well where where is the value you know what is the value um why is it so valuable for them to provide a good digital experience well, I, I think first and foremost, because I mean, it's it's probably a topic in of itself, right? But I think um, having that distinction of digital and physical, I, I think is almost redundant now. Mm. Um, you know, the way that we the way we interact with content and information and brands and companies um, and as human beings now, it is essentially a digital experience or a digitally enabled experience. So, you know, an organization that might have a real driver to be raising funds, for instance, uh, you know, if we talk specifically about our sector, uh, not for profit or charity or museums yeah. and attractions, um, they're invariably needing to engage their audiences uh, via the platforms and the technologies that their audiences live and breathe in now you know as we all do whether that's uh, you know apps on our phone in our pocket or whether that's increasingly in sort of immersive technologies um or you know are we talking to a human or are we talking to an algorithm you know, these are <laughs> when do we know right when do we know i mean these are all considerations that i think any organization needs to be not just involved in and present in um but you know, dri driving in a direction that means something to them as a business as well. Um, so yeah, so that's that's my typical definition. And I think, you know, I think in a few years we won't be talking about digital or physical experiences as much as we tend to now. I think that's been a product of um, digital being a channel uh, or a, you know a way of engaging an audience. That's quite old fashioned now uh, as a concept. You know, which is, I think, is why we we tend to talk not about we tend to talk not so much about websites and mobile apps these days, and we talk more about platforms. Mm. And do you think there's part of that? Because one of the things that's always struck us about the sector, particularly like you say um, fundraisers, charity fundraisers, it's a lot of it is you know it's very much a people sector. And there's been a lot of um, value placed on the physical, you know, get together for a challenge event, you know, you bounce off each other, you encourage each other, etc. Do you think that with the enhancement, the developments in technology nowadays, that they 
charities can see how they've overcome that it's not a barrier not being physical but they've overcome that kind of that being founded very much in a physical presence is that you're saying that we can get beyond that now i i think we can i mean obviously you know i'm sure we'll touch upon this this subject i mean i think the constraints of budget yeah uh, for the sector are an obvious are, are an obvious inhibitor to actually going all the way sometimes so i think a lot of the consideration with our clients is where do you start you know um and the answer is usually well why do you want to do it uh, mm. depending depending on the topic right but i think yeah i think it's i think it's less of a consideration and i think the sector is going to have to get to grips with where do our people live? You know, what platforms are they living in? How are they communicating? I mean, if I think about this from a almost more of a generational point of view, you know, if and I if I was running a charity and needing to to raise funds on a regular basis, I'm probably looking at an aging population and an aging audience. Um, in terms of the way I've typically engaged them um, and the people that usually are contributing. Um, so actually engaging sort of younger demographics means you're going to have to go where those demographics live. And increasingly, um, you know, the way a younger demographic buys brands, engages with companies, engages with topics is via a very flexible set of kind of digital platforms now you know if i think about my son and my son being a uh, being very much a gamer he's moved from being living in a gaming platform called discord and discord actually being somewhere where him and his friends discuss big topics discuss buying things you know because that's how they're communicating and i think um I think the not-for-profit sector needs to get to grips with it. And if that, I mean, there's a number of challenges in there that, um, that you've covered already, I'm sure we will get onto, but is that part of it? And one of the starting blocks is about having to go out to where people are, as opposed to, you know, even five years ago, probably, we'd have been talking about how we bring people into our our presence, into our traditional website, whatever it might be, our, you know, our app, if we were a little bit out there. Is that where it is? It's about, specific, not specifically, but particularly, a key consideration is how to be out where, as you said, where your audience is. Very, yeah. very, 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 uh, very much so. And I think discoverability being a core part of that, um, because once you're present, it's not enough to just be present. You need to make people know that you're present. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, you know, if we, if we got onto that discord topic that I just mentioned, uh, serendipity is a thing serendipity is definitely a thing when we're talking about discoverability and the flexibility of platforms to be able to jump in and out of things means that you tend to have to be present in multiple platforms whereas a few years ago it was enough to just be on the web uh, to have a decent website and to have a a decent mobile application where you had an e-commerce way of um, you know, raising funds, for instance, I think it's getting very fragmented very, very quickly. So thinking of experience as being a set of platforms that link together to become a, a sort of ecosystem for yourself as a company mm-hmm. and as a brand um, is going to be vital for the way you start to design for these things. 
Yeah. And if you add on to that, like you say, the fact that not only do you have to have a presence on those platforms, but you have to be able to to maintain that presence to be heard above an incredible amount of noise that's out there already. Um, that's a real, I mean, that as a barrier to entry, maybe, you know, for a nonprofit listening to us or talk, thinking about this generally, back to kind of an early question of where do you start? Yeah. That's quite daunting, I would have thought, when you're, when, like, when you're talking to clients about their first steps. That must be something that really does, you know, send a few shivers. Yeah, I mean, I think shivers, shivers and, and excitement too. I okay. mean, I think honestly, a lot of digital transformation in the not-for-profit sector is so often simply about having a robust web and mobile presence that's underpinned by a a decent CMS, Mm. right? You know, and because of budgetary constraints, you know, that's where the focus is. I think typically when we're engaging with clients and we're talking about transformation over a number of years, we are trying to help them navigate this space. Um, And actually the... Uh, the traditional ways of setting a strategy or finding a roadmap of things that you're going to build next, it's got harder and harder and harder to do in the traditional way, you know, come up with a business case, um, get that approved, run that through, (laughs) get funds to build something, get it out there, hope for the best. I think by its very nature, you have to be a lot leaner. You have to be a lot uh, more experimental. You have to think about diverting some of your budget to those experiments so that you can test and learn, get insight really quickly. And the things that are sticking become things that end up on your roadmap versus the more traditional build a big business case, get it signed off, draw down funding, build it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that that's another movement, I think, which certainly in the commercial sector, you know, the bigger brands have embraced um, and are spending a lot of money that way. We just need to carefully help our clients in our sectors kind of do that in a smaller, leaner way, um, you know, to to maximize impact, basically. Yeah. But I can see that as you're saying that, I can see, I can hear the challenge, you know, like you say. I understand that traditional model with the business case, et cetera, et cetera, very well governed, but it's yeah. almost redundant before you get to the point that you can actually invest or, or enact something, execute a plan. So how, do, how do you then, how do you balance the kind of the need for good governance, which has always been really important? I mean, it's important anywhere, but it has been a strong feature of the sector as well. Um, how do you kind of balance that with the need, like you say, to be a bit leaner, a bit fleeter, a bit more dynamic, a bit more innovative, a bit less risk averse you know be prepared to fail to learn and and re reinvent sort of thing how do you yeah. how do you approach that with great difficulty uh, <laughs> and, and sensitivity yeah you know, i think we we talk we talk a lot uh, in the agency space about you know delivering kind of breakthrough experiences to market um and we tend to we tend to typically describe that in terms of the outcome E.g., the thing that the thing that you interact with, the thing that you can feel, the oh my god, um, look at that amazing experience that Brand X has just launched. Whereas, I think it's very very important to understand the very bumpy way that those outcomes have been delivered. Typically, they've do, they've required 
multiple small breakthroughs uh, and leaping over barriers internal or otherwise to even get to the point that you can launch something uh, that has that kind of bigger impact. Um, So often it's smaller cultural company leadership team product team type things that can be in the way of getting things done i mean i use another analogy of the um you know the small grass shoot or the small flower you know it's very easy to stomp on it um either deliberately or by accident so if we took the analogy that the flower is innovation itself um there are usually a lot of reasons to say no to an idea or to you know what we should experiment in the immersive space let's just pick that mm-hmm. because usually there will be technical constraints there will be governance constraints so a lot of what we do is try to help our organizations almost design that kind of innovation function and get small budget allocated to small experiments, e.g. stuff that isn't going to break the bank, but that will return quite a lot of insight quite quickly. And the way we do that typically is is to focus on the bigger outcome first. If you think about this, this this starts to get us into kind of lean startup territory, if you like. Mm. E.g., um, and this is where the whole kind of focus on you know minimal viable proposition has come from in the end, is could we get to this huge dream outcome that we've designed for ourselves? Could we get there in a smaller set of steps than this, biz- this huge business case is suggesting? The business cases that suggest there are, I don't know, 200 features that need to be in place to deliver an outcome. Um, The whole lean approach has been, could we hit the same outcome or half of the outcome with 20 features instead? Um, That's typically, or an approach along those lines, is typically the way we're encouraging our client organizations to start thinking and behaving because it it saves money in the long run right it saves yeah saves accident it saves that horrible oh my god we've just spent a year designing a website and nobody's engaging with it type thing yeah. right yeah. um and it's it saves a lot of grief in the organization that way too plus plus you learn and you speed up and all of those kind of things so yeah. you know, we're definitely as much about helping you jump over those internal hurdles as we are about the craft, which is quite often the way we're engaged is because we're, we're good at building things and designing things. Um, I think we're, we have, we place just as much stress on how can we help you simply move this from a small idea past your executive team to get a small experiment rolling. Yeah. 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 I get that. I suppose. And so it's part of that then, you're helping organizations to be more granular kind of in the outcomes that they're aspiring to, to be more strategic, I guess, in the, in the long run, but actually to be, I suppose, two things. Firstly, to be more you know, granular, like I say, in the outcome and what they can achieve yeah. in a certain time and budget. And then I guess it's the the other piece I'm, I'm thinking you'll help, you'll be helping them with then would be how to 
measure the impact and report back because you're then building the data, the evidence to justify the bigger and to support the bigger bigger One investments, bigger innovations. Is that the, yeah. another part of your role? Yeah. One hundred percent, and you know, you've mentioned the the dreaded data word there. <laughs> I did. That, that that is another aspect. There is another aspect that um, typically we interrogate early on, because okay. this is the way the digital design and development industry has moved on dramatically um, over the past ten years. You know, we've we've moved from an from a sort of a craft that's been orientated around talking to humans, quite rightly, right? Yeah. Talk, talk to humans, design things for humans, talk to them about the experiences they're having, and in the design process, be testing that directly with them so that they can tell you how they're feeling and what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fundamental to designing experiences. But it's got more punchy as we've been able to add an understanding of data to the pot with organizations who are starting to build out data platforms for their businesses. Because when you combine the sort of more ethnographic talking and observing um, of kind of user experience design Hmm. with actually what's really going on from a from an understanding of behavior and movement and interaction at the touch point you get this fantastic intersection because you know what sometimes humans don't quite tell you what they really mean <laughs> what's actually happening yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes they'll say well i mean this is politics isn't it well i i will vote x but actually they do something in entirely different <laughs> yep exactly the same in the design of experiences and being able to understand the difference between an a state and a b state by both talking and observing but also analyzing the data from an a to b state is incredibly powerful so again with our with some of our more cash strapped uh, organizations we're saying as much as possible be trying to divert some budget to a data platform, to having some kind of understanding of interaction from that perspective. It's absolutely vital in the end um, that you get something reasonably robust um, that you can actually interpret and understand and use to analyze and interrogate your business. You know, it's uh, pretty fundamental now. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And in terms of, as soon as we picked up on the data word, if we then think about that where you ended up, which is the need to analyze what's yeah. going on as well and to drill into it. Is yeah. that where we start to, to, for some clients, start to move towards the, the deployment of AI or machine learning at all? Is that is that a step too far, a step further? Yeah. You know, a year ago, I would, I would for, for, our, for this sector or this mm-hmm. set of sectors, I'd have said, don't worry about that. Um, okay. I th- I think honestly, the explosion over the past year demonstrates one thing: it's here already, yeah. um, it's everywhere already, and it's only going to get more fundamental as part of the way we engage as humans. I think. Right now, what we're trying to do for our clients is help them understand 
first of all, what it is, but what are, what are the implications of adoption? What are the what are the potential use cases? And I think fundamentally, as we would do with any kind of technology cycle, and you know the usual cycles, right? Marketing tends to adopt something first, or the innovators adopt something first, and then there's this sort of explosion of interesting but not that useful kind of applications yeah. um, then there's usually a bit of a dip then it sort of starts to surface in more functional applications that are more useful more applicable those cycles have dramatically sped up the speed yeah, yeah. i mean you know it used to be that you could you could kind of bracket those technology cycles in kind of three-year blocks but now it's literally months yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or less or le- yeah right if you look at chat gpt uh, and the new version that's literally just out and you compare the the, t- the two in terms of the output it's just phenomenal yeah. the speed of this right yeah, yeah so so first of all we're we are trying to first of all illuminate what is this stuff two should you be worried about it mm-hmm. three is does opportunity live here? For just because you can do doesn't mean you should do. Um, so you know there is an there is a sort of ethical and diversity and inclusion angle to this, just as much as there is with any technology. Um, and certainly, we would always be advocates of don't do it if you don't need to, and don't do it if it's not going to have a positive impact. Um, so right now, I think we're in, with, with most of our clients, we're in a, should we start with the difference between AI and machine learning, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same. Yeah, yeah, after all. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, specifically with AI, because everybody's playing, everybody's having fun. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's the old adage, isn't it? It's like garbage in, garbage out is very, very applicable to machine learning and AI. Yeah. Um, you you know. tell it nonsense, that's what you get back. <laughs> All right. And, 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 certainly if, pace. <laughs> and certainly if we take the, um, oh my God, I mean, AI, if, if I if I sort of re- turn the mirror around and apply it to a, a, our own, you know, digital design and development uh, uh, industry, um, there's a lot of people very, very worried about these applications right now because it's like, oh my god, like wholesale. Will there be job losses? Does really? this does this replace what we do? Um, and I and I think the answer is no, but. <laughs> um, I, see, I view, I view AI in particular, and if you took the if you took the image, video, copy aspects of it that we're we're all seeing both amazing but also like slightly weird examples of they are all um they're all reliant on effective prompts so i view them as creative aids and accelerators and in that respect, our in, our industry and our client industries have nothing to fear because they are they are tools like anything else, and those tools can actually help us be more effective, move faster. You know, if you wanted to write a role profile right now, 
you can probably get a good draft pretty instantaneously from chat GPT and then refine it. And I would just I would just be sort of placing an emphasis on uh, the the refinement to avoid over-reliance is going to be absolutely key. I do think there are going to be quite a few accidents mm-hmm. um, and probably some really high-profile ones. I mean, what do they say? Like by the end of this year, something like 95% of everything that you see on the internet will be AI um, yeah. or, or AI-driven. Driven. Yep. And that's and that's astonishing because I think that we're getting into we're getting into trust and ethical territory very very quickly, you know. Um, so I think it's a fascinating area, and I think I think the opportunities for it are enablement of the creative process, um, speed of you know getting low level tasks done. Um, I think there will be a benefit to interaction from an experiential point of view because we can maybe get more consistent customer service. You know, if we think about things like speech engines and chatbots and things that um, have been around for a little while, they're all a bit hokey. They're still a bit hokey. Um, I think... I think the, the the algorithms and the power of the algorithms mean that that will be a much more unified and beneficial experience. I think the issue is not knowing what you're talking to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and I think you know once once I think once you get into the territory of as as a human being not knowing, I, I think we're in some rather scary territory mm. and i think it it behooves us as designers and clients to basically take an ethical stance on it broadcast via our interfaces that we're using this stuff if we choose to mm. use it yeah. um, you know and take a bit of a stance on it versus just wholesale adoption um I could be. It depends on how cheerful I am when I've woken uh, as to how I f- how cynical about it I am. <laughs> um, I, I I'm in, I'm an optimist, so I'm I'm on the side of creative acceleration versus um, the machines are taking over because I don't I don't what 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 did I say to somebody the other day? Um, AI doesn't care. Um, but we do. <laughs> so uh, you know, once you can't tell the difference between the two things, I think yeah. there's a problem. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. And I think you're right. It is about kind of embracing it, you know, accepting it, embracing it, and then working hand in hand with it because it gives us capability, it gives us the ability to interrogate information at scale and therefore to provide better services and better support for people. There's lots of really positive applications available to us. And it's really important not to be scared, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah t- totally, totally. And I think you know, for not-for-profits specifically, you know, even if we just took the use cases of understanding user behaviour and trends, or driving more personalization from a fundraising perspective, mm-hmm. or um, getting a little bit more speedy with test and learn based upon the data that we're building algorithms around, or just modelling the future it will be playing a role in that. 
you know yeah. and that's that's why i think it's it's sensible uh it it's sensible and prepared uh applications that i think will win out you know yeah. um, but yeah i mean super exciting i mean honestly it's like i think it's a both a fascinating and uh, you know enormously exciting area that we're in right now that uh, our clients are going to have to get to grips with <laughs> yeah no it's definitely a really interesting time especially with all these new innovations and obviously developments those opportunities within that and yep. I know it's something we've spoken uh, previously with you about but just thinking of impact and the context this all sits yep. within obviously there's um sort of with these innovations there is positive impact but we have to think of perhaps some more of the negative consequences and you know the the context that we live in today and I just wondered what kind of your thoughts on um the role that you know sustainability and digital sustainability has to play within creating these digital experiences and with these innovations you know is that something that we're going to have we should be increasingly aware of and build into these kind of um you know these design processes that we're thinking of and especially for non-profits when they're looking to design good experiences yeah i mean the one and burning topic uh, <laughs> should should be our planet should it not yeah i think you know without without getting po-faced about it i think we've seen we've seen five to ten years of organizations perhaps for the best intentions but organizations largely ticking boxes around the things that they can get to grips with e.g trying to trying to go for kind of net zero or trying to do the right things in terms of the way the right things are typically described i think the problem attached to that is I do think there's a general hubris around this topic. You take the digital industry, for instance. I mean, I think, get my quote right, I think the digital industry is responsible for some 4% of global emissions. You know, that's, that's bigger than the aviation industry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that in itself should make all of us as either practitioners or clients who are dealing with digital platform kind of sit up and take notice. You know, there is no such thing as digital emissions. It's just yeah. emissions. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that we're dealing with that, um, you know, means that it's another thing that any organisation needs needs to be standing up to and not being passive about because it is something that you can have a direct impact with in terms of designing your website for instance yeah. i think web traffic is on the up but as a result of that uh, and as a result of the, the wholesale adoption of mobile technology page sizes have increased you know, I think mm -hmm. if we look at desktop right now, it's increased like since the Paris Agreement, it's like something like up 60% on desktop and 125% up on mobile. You know, these are pretty scary kind of option type figures. Um, so we, we 
we typically position one question with our client. We sort of go, look, if you're thinking about designing web platforms or digital ecosystems, why isn't the planet a stakeholder in your digital projects? The, the answers that come back are typically things like lack of awareness, lack of breadth or depth of the research, um, the fact that there aren't any universally accepted standards out there, um, lots of different ways of calculating this stuff, um, more cynically hiding behind greenwashing let's let's face it that's that's a thing just because you say it doesn't mean you're necessarily doing it um and you know sustainability as an idea is is not as easy to uh codify as something i don't know like cyber security where it's so it's so fundamental and given now, if you're any kind of trusted organization that you need to do certain things to certain standard in, in security, mm. there isn't the same thing for making your website uh, a low lower carbon affair, yeah. right? So typically we are trying to gear ourselves and guide our clients through, there are some things that you can look at, mm. And those things are typically energy efficiency. You know, there are actions that you can take to make your software consume less electricity when it's doing its thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's hardware efficiency. So again, um, making sure that your software re requires fewer physical resources when it's uh, functional. Um, there's an awareness of how much your... Um, you know, your bit of the data center is contributing to the electricity grid, you know, and there's a, a maybe a duty of care thing that you can do with the organization, which is to, you know, inform and educate yourselves mm -hmm. as well. Um, and there are lots of like really tactical things that you can do. And this is where I think we, we tend to get really, really excited. You know, I think from a, let's just pick website, right? Mm -hmm. If, if you were to pick, let's look at the tech side for a second, you can choose a renewable powered hosting provider. Um, you can practice carbon aware, carbon aware development. Um, you can shut down things that aren't being used. You can architect your website from a tech perspective to minimize um, you know, the drain on battery on somebody's laptop. You know, you can use modern image formats and lower your page loads, all of these kind of things that are basically built into most websites. You can attack them, you know, and the same with design, right? You can think differently about the way you use images and video. If you've got lots of imagery and video on your pages, it's draining a lot of resource and it's adding to the problem, right? So it's making us think slightly differently about the way we design and then you know, if you think about it from a content perspective, um, we call it rotten. Um, you know, can you rid your site of any redundant, out of date, uh, trivial or no longer used uh, content? Yeah. yeah, that's rotten content. Yeah. See what we did there. Yeah. Um, you can get rid of that stuff and it has an impact. Mm. Just, just the... Um, just just good ux ensure mm. that 
the right people find the pages that they want to find really efficiently and in, in a really direct way reduces the time that they spend on your website. I know it's an oxymoron. You want people to spend more time on your yeah. website sometimes. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff has an effect. And I think this is why we think that this concept of digital sustainability is so vital for experience design. Mm. In the end, you can make a dent. And it quite often with, uh, you know, with climate change topic, with sustainability topic, it's overwhelming, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh, well, we can't, we can't do anything. Mm. Um, but again, you know, just like recycling, with website design and technical design, small things can have a big impact when they're viewed cumulatively. Mm. Um, so that's why we think it's important. That's why we think it's vital. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, actually, and and it's really encouraging that there's like lots of small different ways that you know that are practical and tangible that we can do now um to make an impact I think yeah like you said sometimes it's overwhelming to get started you don't know exactly where to go but yeah it's really encouraging and I really liked what you said around you know think of the planet as a stakeholder in your project I think that really helps to get us to view um you know them as key within that whole process which I think is is really good and there hopefully help us I mean, it does sound a bit, I have a dream, doesn't it? (laughs) But I mean, just the same as we, you know, for the past 10 years, we've been saying things like, make sure design has a chair around Mm. your exec table, right? Because we know how that benefits everything. Having a designer in the room makes a difference. The planet should be there too. Yeah. You know, and we think that's, that's just something to focus on. And just the fact that we can, we can offer is try these four or five things mm. and it will make a difference and you can stand up and be counted. Mm. That's a good movement. That feels like a good movement. Yeah, definitely. Um, I am just conscious of time. So I'm going to ask you one final question. It might be quite a big one, but hopefully you can answer it, um, you know, um, quite easily. Um, but just considering everything we discussed today and um, lots of big topics within there that we could go on for ages about, um, what would you say is the you know the key takeaway that you'd like to leave our audience with in terms of designing and creating good digital experiences? What is something that they should take away and really think about, or even practical next steps for them um, to really go away and, and do really? Yeah, I I answer it in a way that might sound flippant. It's not flippant. It used to be a preoccupation, a constant question I used to get, I used to get was, how can I innovate like a startup? Right? And my answer to that was a flippant answer, but it's still true, which is you start. And I would say exactly the same about some of these concepts that we've talked about today, Mm. is if you adopt a bit of an experimental attitude and you do it in a small way on small things and see what happens and then start to roll that into the way you work. It has an exponential benefit on the way the organization feels, but also the products and experiences that you're putting out into the market. So just that change alone have a little bit of the business that does the experiments 
put a little bit of the marketing budget aside to trying to test and learn quickly on a product or a service or a problem, right? Um, that I've seen most movement from companies that adopt that attitude and don't give up, right? Because yeah. it, it tends to just infect the way they work from that point on. Um, even if it's just, oh my God, I'm glad we did that because we just saved ourselves a million quid that's a good outcome for, for, for a charity you know yeah. it's a great outcome and it's like oh my god yeah we would have been really embarrassed if we put that out that's another good outcome but yeah there are other outcomes <laughs> but I, I think it's I think it's like it's that other old adage isn't it it's like how, when you've when you've got to eat an elephant the only way you can do it is in small pieces that's nice chunks yep mm -hmm. Hey, well, we, don't, uh, we don't eat elephants, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. We don't. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, um, yeah, I think that brings us to the nice. end of um, our podcast today with you. But, um, yeah, just thank you again for joining us. It's been really good um, to explore these topics with you um, and get your thoughts and insights on those. So we really appreciate you spending time with us to do that today. So thank you so much. So we really hope you enjoyed that episode with Scott today. Um, I think it was such it was full of such great insight and it was really great to get Scott's perspective on this topic. Um, one thing that stood out for me in particular is how he mentioned that the distinction between digital and physical is basically redundant now. Um, and I guess it just highlights how embedded digital is into our lives these days and it's something that you know organisations should really be focusing on and you know where sort of how to identify where your audience is in the, on those platforms and you know how to engage with them there um but yeah was there anything in particular that stuck out for you Rob? yeah i think that's a really good point you make i think that i'd like say that the difference between digital and physical having gone um i think there's some really good nuggets there about you know what nonprofits can invest in and what's appropriate what's relevant uh i think ultimately that he also kind of summarized or summarizing from the conversation that idea that the digital experience you can offer to your your members, your supporters, your customers, um, is created by that relationship between your data um, by AI. Actually, you should be using that, can be using that, deploying that now, and then the interface, the platforms that you that you put in place, and, and as you said uh, just now as well, the fact that you can you know you need to be where your audience is um, yeah. and and to embrace those those platforms. So yeah, no, it's really that was really enjoyable. Yeah, it was really great. So um, if you did enjoy this episode as much as we did, um, be sure to leave us a review and better still subscribe so you get later notified of the latest episodes. Don't forget you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching HeartSquare where you'll find loads of more content on leadership, digital, culture and capability. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.